Bob Russell, a guy in Louisville, tells a story of a contractor in the Louisville area who was bidding out a job, and if you know anything about contracting work, it's really kind of cutthroat. You kind of work project to project, and you build a reputation, and you know your work kind of stands on its own, and then other people that might need similar work hears about those things. And so there was a guy who was building out a, con- a, a, a contracting job, and this contracting job in particular would change the landscape of his company. It would put him on the map. It was a big project in the Louisville area. It was a project that, to be honest, would, would, would reflect into the future, but it would also set them on a financial trajectory that they really desperately needed. And so they had done all the legwork. He had done all the personal work that he could so that he could chit-chat about kids and that sort of thing. And he knew his business. He knew the, the, the blueprint. He knew everything possible going into this meeting with the CEO. So he goes into the meeting with the CEO, and they have some chit-chat, and as he's doing, he's taking inventory. Oh, how's the daughter? How's vacation? He knows what to say and all the things to say, and he's doing. He's knocking it out of the park. And so at some point early in the meeting, the CEO says, hey, if you could excuse me for a second, got to run a couple things down the office, and I'll be right back. And so he gets up, and he leaves. So this contractor's looking at what books he's reading, so that they could, again, have a little bit of conversation or taking in pictures, taking in the landscape. And he sees something laying on the CEO's desk. He sees a competing bid. And so he kind of looks at the door, kind of looks through the window, doesn't see him. And so he scoots closer to the desk. And he's looking, he's looking. He goes, okay, I see, yeah, we're going to be doing similar things. And so uh, he looks back and he takes another look. But right over the bottom line number sat the CEO's Coke can. And so he's trying to like move some stuff around. Maybe I can get a glimpse at this number. So he takes one more look down the hallway, listens in to make sure he's not hearing footsteps. And his intentions was he was just going to slide the Coke can over look at the number and slide it back. And so he's like, all right. So he goes and he goes. And hundreds of BBs go everywhere, all over the desk. And so he begins to panic. (laughs) He's like trying to scoop up, you know, and, and about that time, the CEO comes in, takes his seat at the desk. And so how do you play this off, right? The CEO looks at him and says, well, we've made our decision. He says, in this business, integrity matters. And I've got to have someone who will do the right thing even when no one's around. Thank you for your time. I had my first brush at this uh, when I was in college. One of my very first job interviews, and so you can imagine it was nerve-wracking, much like bidding out the contract work. I was uh, looking to work at a real top-shelf place, O'Charlie's. And uh, (laughs) some of you are like, hey, I like O'Charlie's. I do too. Um, Well, it's all right. Anyway, I I was uh, a little bit nervous going into the the job. I was going to serve tables. I'd heard it was a great way to make some money as a college student. And I walk in, and I meet with the uh, 
general manager, a guy named Randy at the time. This is in Jackson, Tennessee. And so Randy, and, and I, you know, I'm kind of fidgety. I don't really, you know, I've not done this. You know, I, I'd had the same job when I was in high school. This was like one of my first big jobs that I was going to have in college. And so he said, hey, son, I just got really one question. If you can answer this question, we'll determine whether or not you're going to work here or not for me. And I said, okay, all right, I can answer one question, I think. And he looked at me and he said, are you a person of integrity? Well, I'd never thought about that word. I'd never thought about me as a person of integrity or not. and So I kind of went, okay, well, what is he going to want to hear here? And here's what I said. Well, sir, I think so. I go to a Christian college. He went, yeah, I don't think that qualifies you as a person of integrity. I know lots of people who go to Christian schools that I wouldn't trust to watch my dog. I went, well, that's all I got. And he kind of looked back and he said, I, I'm not sure you really understand the question. You do know what integrity means, right? And again, I'd heard the word, but I didn't have any clue as to really what it meant or, or how that applied to my life. And, and, and it's like a scale, like one to ten, and I'm trying to stack stuff up. And I was like, I, I, you're right, I don't know. And this is what he told me. He said, son, a person of integrity is this. It's what you do when no one's looking that matters. And you're going to be handling a lot of cash. You're going to be handling a lot of money. You're going to be handling a lot of people's money. You're going to be handling credit cards. And I need to know that when I'm not looking, now what I found out later was the reason he wasn't looking, he was snorting lines of cocaine in his office. But anyway, that's another thing. <laughs> he said it matters. And that forevermore kind of developed into me having this awareness. And what I figured out is this, is that if we ever hope to develop a, a, a meaningful relationships with people, if we ever hope to take our relationships to the next level, if we ever hope to have any sort of influence, any level of influence, whether you're, I'm talking about parental influence, whether it's co-working influence, whether it's teammate or peer, whatever level of influence you hope to have, integrity matters. If we ever want to, and we've been talking in this series about lost people, and we said from the beginning of the series, when we use the term lost people, we're talking about ourselves. We're not talking about lost causes. We're talking about people who aren't quite where they need to be or supposed to be, but they deserve every chance to get there. And if we ever want to have a, a hope of impacting the world around us, if you want to create better spaces in your workplaces and better spaces in your neighborhood, integrity matters. Here's the, here's the point. That I believe that God is, is going to use us in the process of influencing someone somewhere someday. And it begins and ends with integrity. It begins. And the reason I chose this first, because every characteristic, everything that we talk about for the rest of this series hinges on this. If we can't be people of integrity, we're going to have a hard time ministering to people. See, you can have integrity without a ministry, but you can't have a ministry without integrity. So it begins and it ends with integrity for us, but also for Jesus. And that's what we're going to see today. It's more than just having the right pedigree. I thought, well, you know, going to a Christian college or coming to church or being in a small group, those things kind of qualify. Like, well, yeah, I think I'm a good person, I'm, you know, but it's more than that. It's more than those things. It's striving to do the right thing all the time. It's striving when no one's looking in my personal spaces, in my public spaces, in all the areas that I navigate life. Am I striving? Am I longing to? Am I aware of doing the right thing? See, integrity is about honesty. Integrity is about trustworthiness. Integrity are those moments when, yes, the document's laying right there, and all i got to do is nudge that can two inches, and, and it could change my life forever. In those moments, can I be trusted? 
In those moments, can I, can I gauge my primary motivation and decision-making, not on how it affects me, but is it right? Is it the right thing to do? Is my pri- primary motivator in my decision-making process that leads to action, is it trustworthy? Is it honest? A- am I evaluating everything around me? Or does my decision-making process, the motivation behind it, does it vary depending on who I'm with and what I have to gain and what I have to lose. In this area, I don't have a lot to to lose. And so, yeah, I don't have any problem being completely trustworthy. But I got a lot to lose right here. And so I begin to make decisions differently in this area than I do this area because I'm motivated differently. I'm motivated by something different. It also carries with it this idea of completeness, that there's a wholeness, that in my whole life, I am who I say I am. And I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do, whether someone's watching or not. So whether someone's shadowing me, looking at the details, am I doing things the way I would say that I said I would do them? Am I going to do what it is that I say? Now, I want to take some confusion off the table. Being a person of integrity does not mean perfection. It is not void of mistake. It is not void of failure. It's not void of sin and mess. And I believe that Satan wants to attack us many times right there. See, if Satan can get us to a place where we begin to question our integrity based on a mistake, based on a a past failure, then he wins that battle before we ever get started. If he can convince you, you're not good enough. Listen, there's no reason to go down this road relationally because they're going to find out about that. And when they do, they're going to dump you. They're going to leave you to the side. They're not going to trust you. And you go, but yeah, it's just one mistake. And you begin to, to again, you, you put this, yourself on a scale and you go, well, maybe I'm not a person of integrity. And he, you, he convinces us that <laughs> you're just a hypocrite. If people knew, you know, what it is that you did back here, you do realize that they, they wouldn't be so welcoming around the table or in their home or in these spaces that you're trying to create. And if he can attack, attack us based on these past moments, these past failures, what I found is he's just going to leave us useless and God's call for us to influence people. Mistakes will be made along the way. We're human. And what separates us from hypocrisy is this, is it's an awareness that we have. It's an awareness that in our mistakes, we're willing to correct those things. We're going to do something different. See, hypocrisy is this conscious lifestyle where I'm fully aware that I'm claiming something here, but I'm going to do something different here. It's full-blown knowing, and it's in these moments, so mistakes are going to happen, but in these moments, do I have this knowledge, this awareness to go, okay, I kind of blew that there. I'm going to move into something different. So in this today, I don't want you to beat yourself up for making mistakes. Just because you sin, just because you mess up, it doesn't mean that you aren't and can't be a person of integrity. See, a life of integrity is not defined by a moment of weakness or moments of weakness, but a commitment to doing what's right next time. But we need to know this, that in those moments of weakness, in those moments where we blow it, in those moments where maybe we nudge the can when we knew we shouldn't, And it's not like I'm going to nudge the can next time. I'm going to leave the CEO's Coke can alone. It's in those moments that I think Satan attacks us the most. And we see in Luke chapter 4, Jesus' attack on his integrity comes strong. Satan comes at him, and it it happens on multiple occasions, but this was the first. And Satan, 
himself. He doesn't do it through a coworker. He doesn't he doesn't do it through an interview. He, he, he shows up on the scene. He's the heavy hitter. And he shows up with Jesus in the wilderness. And he says, I'm going to attack your integrity to see if you'll nudge the Coke can. And I love that it starts around the meal. Look at this. Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing in those days. And at the end he was hungry. And, and the devil said to him, you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil led him to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all the authority and splendor it has been given to me, and I can give it to whoever I want to. If you'll worship me, it will all be yours. Verse 8, he says, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So Satan led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. He says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning to guard you carefully. They will lift up, you up in your hands. They will not strike one foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all of this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. So here's the timeline. Jesus had just been baptized. He had just had this moment where the father says, I'm, I'm, I'm well pleased that, that this pleases me. He had made this public proclamation that, that I am worthy of being followed, that I'm in tune, I'm in step with the father's call on my life. And other people were being baptized as well. And you had this spiritual breakthrough, this moment and what I've noticed is that this tends to be the time when Satan tends to hit the strongest. He has this pinnacle moment. And then all of a sudden, in just a few moments later, Satan comes in the door. You make a decision for God. Man, I'm going to put my mind to something. I'm going to do something different. I'm going to move towards something good. I'm going to make that change. I'm going to become a better person. I'm going to live on point. And bam, Satan shows up. And then he moves from there, and this is before Jesus officially starts his, quote, ministry. He hasn't started anything. This is before messages were given. This is before miracles had been performed. This is before he had fed thousands of people with crumbs. This is before healings had taken place. This is before disciples. He had not started any sort of official ministry. It was before it all. And the reason I believe that Satan picked this moment is this. It's much just like in our lives. Because if Satan can get us and can control us and get us thinking negatively down a path, if he can attack our integrity, before we get started, we'll never start. Satan knew what was at play here. That Jesus was about to go on to have a three-year ministry that would change the world. And so if I can get him before he ever gets started, then I've got it. I kill the movement. I kill the spirit of the movement. Now, you also need to know this. While Jesus is fully divine, he's also fully human in this moment. The text says he was hungry. He had human needs, and this is real temptation. This is a real attack. And so I look at this and go, okay, I can get there because he's dealing with the very same things that I deal with. He's hungry. I think that's another strong way that Satan comes at us. If I can get them to question themselves, if I can get them before they start, or if I can get them in a moment of weakness, if I can catch them hungry, hungry for the big deal or hungry for this, then I will have them right where I want. And so Jesus goes into the wilderness to fast and prepare 
because he knows what's coming. He knows that, that there's work. He, he knows that I'm about to step into this great calling again that's going to change the world. And he goes to prepare his heart and his mind for the days ahead. And here comes Satan. See, Jesus wasn't necessarily led away to be tempted. But in that moment, Satan comes where he catches him alone. He catches him tired. He catches him trying to focus on something better. He catches him weak. And Satan says, this is a good time. And I look at my own life and go, i got to be prepared for those moments. i got to be prepared for those times. And what I see is this, is that in the same ways that Satan attempts to attack Jesus' integrity are the exact same ways that he's going to come after mine. I've seen it play out in my life, moments I regret, moments I want to redo, moments where I go, what in the world was I thinking? And I look back and I look at this, this encounter in this weak moment and I go, that's where he got me. So it's the same things, and here's number one, if you're taking notes. Number one, he tries to convince you that you are number one. You're in control. You put your needs first. You make it happen. Look at how he comes at him. Verse three, he says, Jesus, you are the son of God. You can do whatever you want. You're number one here. He says, Jesus. You can make it happen. You can have anything you want. You shouldn't want for anything. Not only do you want it, Jesus, you need it. We're talking about bread here. We're talking about food. We're talking, you haven't eaten in a long time. I know how weak you are. I know 40 days is a long time. I know that going without food is, is, is taxing on the body. Jesus, you don't just need this or want this. You need this. And, and here's the thing, Jesus. You have the power to make it happen. You are number one. He, he looks at Jesus and goes, Jesus, <laughs> you do realize you have the ability to fix your greatest problem. Jesus, you have the ability to turn your hunger, your current situation around. It's in your control. Take care of you. No one's going to hold that against you. I mean, anybody in their right mind goes 40 days. They, they're going to know that you did it because of sustainability. You, you did it because of necessity. No one's going to know the, the difference. And if they were in your situation, they'd do the same thing. See, this is the oldest and one of the best tricks in the book. And we all, every single one of us, have a degree of power somewhere over something or someone. Every single one of us holds some degree, some level of power, authority, influence over something, someone, somewhere at some time. And if Satan can use this to erode away at the decisions you make based on that, erode away at your integrity, he's got it. If he can get you to go, hey, 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 you deserve this. You've earned this. Do you not know who you are? Do you not know you've got the means to make that happen? You've got the personality to make that happen. You've got the money to make that happen. You've got the influence and control to make that happen. Meet your needs at all costs. It doesn't matter what arena. He, he comes at Jesus with food, but it's not about food. It's like, hey, money, power, sex, stuff. See, and here's the way it shows up, at least in my life, in the lives of people I've seen. I start going, man, I wish, I wish my wife was more like that. And Satan comes in and goes, then make it happen. Jason, you're 
decent-looking guy with a pretty fly shirt. You've got options. Make it happen. If you'd rather have this than that, then make it happen. Do you not realize you control that? It's all in your power to do whatever it is. Man, I'd really like to get that promotion or raise, and Satan goes, then make it happen. You're in control of the situation. Make it happen. It doesn't matter if you cut a corner or, you know, fudge the numbers a little bit and look under the Coke can. And then he comes at us like this. By the way, it's your family that's going to benefit from it. You've been wanting that boat or upgrade a house or that vacation. It's going to be for good. Make it happen. Nobody's going to know otherwise. I just need to pass this test. Then make it happen. I mean, Sarah put her paper out there for everybody to see, and, and, and it doesn't really matter, does it? You're not going to use this information in your career. We're talking about algebra. Who cares? You're wanting to be a veterinarian. And those numbers don't mean anything. I don't think anyway. I don't know. Just, if you're a vet and use algebra, sorry for the illustration. But listen, it's only ninth, tenth grade. And who cares? Just make it happen. Your eyesight's 20-20 for a reason. I know you see it. Make it happen. The class is a joke. I just need to feel loved. And you go, it's just going to be one time because I need to know, do they really connect with me? And do they really love me? And Satan says, make it happen. Make it happen. It's not a big deal. You do realize that everybody around you is already participating. Just make it happen. And then you'll know for sure if they really love you or not. You'll know. Just make it happen. Jesus replies with this powerful quote. And as Satan tries to convince him, you're number one. The same way he comes and says, you're number one. He says this. And all these quotes are from Deuteronomy. They're these staples in faith. And look what he says. He says, man shall not live by bread alone. And I love what Jesus does here. Guys, this is so good. This is the foundation for what is going to be his ministry, to be honest. It, it, it's the foundation by which he's going to walk into every city and every situation. It's so good, and I missed it in, in relationship to how it shapes my life. It's not about bread. It's about his entire ministry, to be honest. Satan says this. Satan, it's about you. And Jesus says, no, there's more to life than getting mine. It's not about bread alone. It's not about feeding myself. It's about me showing the importance of putting something else, someone else, first. And why I love this and why I'm going to linger here for just a second is this. Guys, he diffuses in that statement. He diffuses the biggest factor, the biggest stumbling block when it comes to my integrity breakdowns. He diffuses it with that statement. Here's what I'm getting at. Most of the time, my integrity breaks down when it's me on the receiving end. Very rarely, if ever, does my integrity break down when I've got someone else in mind. When I'm trying to serve someone, when I'm trying to put someone else first, when I'm trying to give myself to someone, I'm not really tempted in those moments. But I'm telling you, when there's something over here that's self-serving, I stand to lose or gain. I stand to, to be either promoted or not. When it's about me, 
that's when my integrity begins to really begin to break down or the moments, the decisions leading up to a decision begins to break down. And Jesus says, well, let me tell you one of the secrets. It's not always about bread alone. It's not about you. It's not always about who it is that, 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 that comes first. It's not you. See, and I love this because Jesus carries this all the way to the cross. And so Satan is going to come and say, hey, you are number one. Another thing that he's going to do, he's going to say that instant gratification equals total satisfaction. See, in verse 5 through 8, if you look, look what he says. All right, well, that didn't work. So it says Satan led him up to a high place, showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he says to him, I will give you all their authority, all the splendor. It's been given to me, and I can give it to you if you'll just worship it can all be yours. He says, you can have all this, Jesus, right now. I love the phrasing. He says, in an instant. Jesus, do you see all this? He says, look, look. He says, in an instant. All you've got to do is give up a little bit on the long-term goal to live in the moment for the short-term satisfaction. Look at, look at all, Jesus, look at all this moment has for you. And I love that he walks him through authority, splendor, there's all that's shiny. He says, you can have it all, and Jesus doesn't bite. He doesn't, he's not buying it. So he stays firm into his calling. Look what he says. He says, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. He talks about this later in ministry. Jesus comes and says, listen, just so you know, because I know you're going to be tempted because I was tempted, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve stuff, money, power, hunger, all this. You can't, you can't serve that and God. At some point, they're going to clash. They're going to, they're, going to, they're going to compete for each other's attention. They're going to compete for integrity. There are going to be these moments when you're, you're going to be left to make a choice. <laughs> do I do what's right or do I do what gets me more of this? And, and Jesus says, listen, you can't serve two masters. You can't, you can't do that. You can't love stuff, money, splendor. See, we think we can, but Jesus has a way of saying, listen, remember why you're here. Remember your calling. Serve God to surrender your life to his will, his kingdom, his ways. Don't give in to the moment because you can't serve. And what I figured out in my life is that one of those two fades way faster than the other. There have been moments my integrity has broke down, that I obtained something, got something, that I don't even use or have anymore. I went, wow, that was a real waste of, a, of an integrity breakdown there. That's not even in my life. That person's not in my life. That situation fizzled out and faded and didn't mean anything. And I thought at that moment it was the best thing I could do to catapult me here or there. And what I realized was that the moment meant nothing. See, Peter reminds us that we have something greater coming. First Peter 1, he says, Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in his great mercies has given us a birth into a new hope, this new way of living through the resurrection from the dead. And here's what he does. He places us in an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Here's what he says. It outlasts the moment. That inheritance is kept for you in heaven. Peter says, listen, don't get caught up in the moment. And Satan will come alongside of you and say, listen, instant gratification will equal total satisfaction. And then that doesn't work, so he goes one more step. And it's the, to me, this is one of the more appealing ones. Look at this, verse 9. The devil led him to Jerusalem, this, this center point of their world, where everyone would have been. And all eyes would have been on the temple. So he takes him to the highest point of the temple, and he says, 
If you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. And then Satan quotes scripture at him. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. Talking about God. God's going to command his angels to carefully guard you, Jesus. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Satan says, Jesus, take the easy way here. Satan knew what, what Jesus was, why Jesus was here. Satan was fully aware why Jesus had came. He knew that, that, that Jesus had, had come to earth to reign and rule humankind. He knew that Jesus came to establish a kingdom. People were expecting it. They had been for hundreds of years. They were waiting for it, praying for it daily. And Satan uses this moment, knowing the, the long-term goal, the, the plan of action that God had chosen through his son, and Satan says, why wait? There's an easier way to do this. I know why you're here. In fact, I'm, I'm okay with you having it. I'll let you have everything. I'll let you have all the authority, all the reign, all the rule. It's all yours, and I, I will disappear. Why go through, Jesus, what you're about to go through? Why, why, why go all the way through three, three and a half years to go to a cross? Why? There's an easier way. And, and, and Satan is, is masterful here because he knew this. He knew that if all these people in Jerusalem, looking at the temple, saw him jump off, and angels, now get this picture, and this body of angels swoop him up and deliver him safely. Satan knew that they would immediately come after him. They would fast track him to the crown. They would declare him king. They would assemble an army and march on Rome. Jesus knew that. And so Satan says, why wait? When you can have what you want, not just now, but it's easy. The kingship can start now, and all you got to do is jump. And Jesus, what do you got to lose? God's not going to let you get hurt. You and I both know that. There's nothing going to happen to you. What do you have to fear? Get to leading your people as king. All you got to do is jump. And what I've realized is that so many times the determining factor in upholding my integrity is the choice between what is convenient and what is right. And in that tension, I hear Satan say, but this is easier. This is more convenient. This will fast track this. I know where you ultimately want to get. Let me help you get there easier. All it takes is sliding the can. And what's easiest is not always best. i got to trust that God's ways are not my ways. And God's timing is not my timing. And what God sees is not always what I see, but I want to. And I'm going to look at the easy way and go, I'm not sure I can trust you. What I'm going to do is I'm going to hunker down and I'm going to wait. And I'm going to continue to discern and follow God's lead in this before I jump. So as we kind of land this thought of integrity, because it, 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 it really begins and ends. Before we ever get to these places where we can begin to, to, to walk into and, and influence the lives of others, we have to understand that our integrity matters. If we ever hope to be effective at eating with and, and being in relationship with and developing relationship with people who aren't like us, which automatically comes with a, a, a bit of skepticism in the first place. If I'm ever going to be able to create authentic, meaningful relationships with people and have any degree of credibility 
where people will see Jesus and find Jesus through me, then it begins and ends with integrity. See, ministering to people, influencing people, it's about the heart, not performance. God values a good heart more than a good performance. God wants us to walk with integrity, not just in the spotlight of public appearance. God wants us to walk in the shadows of our personal life with integrity. And guys, this won't be easy. You know, the the way this story ends, it says that Satan left him until a more opportune time. And just because you take that step and you fight that off, man, I I fought off being number one today. Man, I fought off instant gratification today. Man, I fought off this this desire to do what's convenient and easy. Know this, Satan is going to come back. And and he's going to come back when you're the weakest or you've made a big decision, you're tired or you're on the edge of something. And I just want to encourage you to fight for it because here's what's at stake. It's more than just you. It's your friends and your coworkers and your kids and your family and your neighbors. And the world is looking in on us, those of us who claim to know Jesus. And they lean in and they ask the same question my boss asked me. Are you a person of integrity? And they're not asking, do you go to church? They're asking, will you do the right thing when it matters most? And I pray that as we begin to navigate these messy but beautiful relationships, as we eat with people who cover the spectrum of belief, we go, listen, poke around all you want. Not that I'm perfect, but I try my best to be a person of integrity. And this personal integrity is what's going to provide authenticity when the world looks for hypocrisy. And it's going to provide us courage in, in these places of fear, and it's going to provide us faithfulness even in spite of our imperfections. Stand with me as we end. I just ask this question every week, and it's this What's your next step? And for you, maybe it's, it's beginning to really gauge, like, you know what? I, I'm not a person of integrity always. I, I'm a Coke can lifter. And I just want to let you know that you can't, you can't ever have lifted enough Coke cans for God to say, listen, let's just reboot and restart. That your past does not determine your future. Your past mistakes does not determine whether you get to claim integrity or not. And so let's just start there. Maybe for you today, the next step is just being prayed for. You're in one of those seasons right now where you go, listen, I'm weak and I'm tired, I'm hungry, and I know that Satan, he's right there and he just will not let up. Can we just pray that that be lifted from you? Or maybe you're in a moment where you go, listen, I I need to really kind of get in tune with who Jesus is. I need to talk about salvation, what that means. and I need to talk about new identity and all these things that I want want to surrender. I I like this concept of kingship or you've kind of caused some things to be curious in my mind about what it means to surrender my life. And maybe for baptism or any of those, I just want to encourage you. We'd love to have those conversations with you. Whatever it is that you need, we want you to think about what it is that's your next step. And I pray that this week is full, first steps and next steps for you. And we have people that are willing and able to help you. They've got red lanyards on, and they're trustworthy. They are shepherds, and they just love to minister to people. And I can't think of anybody in the building that has more integrity than the people you'll meet that's willing and able to help you. Take a step. Father, this morning, as we kind of close down the day, we just pray that we march into our afternoons and into our Mondays with a little more awareness of our integrity than we came out of Friday. 
And Father, we pray for forgiveness. We pray for patience. We pray for uh, just courage. We pray for uh, protection. God, Satan is relentless, and you know this. But Satan is not all-powerful, God. You are. And in those moments that I find myself completely powerless, and I feel like that I'm about to just be overwhelmed and overtaken by one of these tricks or a bag of other ones that he has, God, will you step in and somehow just infuse through your spirit a, a sense of stability and peace and comfort knowing that you are more powerful, that God, you have withstood everything through your son. You've withstood everything I'm dealing with, going through, will go through. God, may I find comfort, may I find strength in that. And God, I pray that you allow us to walk into whatever situation with whoever it might be and say, I love you, I'm here for you, and I want to begin to build authentic relationship, not as a target, not, not to just, just I, I just care about people and I love people. And because of that, I'm constantly keeping my integrity in check. God, thank you for being patient and loving us through it. We pray this through your son's name. Amen. Thank you.